So Word of Life family, those of you that are used to seeing my face, typically it's uh, with call to worship or announcements, but today I will be bringing you the word. So let's go, people. Um, And for those of you that don't know me and I haven't had the pleasure of being introduced, let me introduce myself. My name is Annie. I work in the reception area of our church. I have for the past decade. Time flies when you're having fun, right? I'm like 10 years, what? I am the team lead to some incredible ministries here at Word of Life, and uh, I'm also a local missionary with the Assemblies of God. Uh, Our ministry is called 99.1. We go into strip clubs to expose God's love in dark, dark places, and God is doing some incredible things. So it is my privilege to be able to be here with you today in Pastor Randy's absence. Uh, I am a Jesus girl. I love him with all my heart. Once I encountered him and he came into my life, he changed everything. I mean, just like uh, Nina was saying, I'm still on the broken side of eternity. I'm still in the middle of life, but he's given me the gift of peace and joy and hope and love where I didn't have it before. And so I'm so grateful to be here with you today. If you know Jesus, yay, let's get into the word. Let's study it. Let's see what he's got for us in this little sliver of our lives. If you don't know Jesus and you're here and you're just checking it out, I want you to know you're in good company. You can consider us friends. Most of us aren't too weird. And uh, we're glad that you're here with us today. Um, So a couple weeks ago, Pastor Randy preached out of Genesis, and uh, he unpacked the life of Joseph. And as he shared about Joseph's life, he was talking about the path that we sometimes find ourselves on. And so often, the path is not the path that we would have thought. And it comes with a lot of challenges. Can anybody relate? I know I can. Um, You guys were like, yeah, we can. Uh, So... um, You really did sound like that. Anyway, uh, so as Pastor Randy began to unpack it, he shared the exact same scripture from Genesis that I had already sent my notes into creative arts for. And I thought, am I supposed to change my message? What in the world is happening right now? But I decided this. I decided that God really has something for all of us in this bit of scripture. So we're going to continue to unpack. Hey, there's nothing wrong with revisiting scripture, right? So we are going to look at the life of Joseph We're going to be looking at him in a slightly different light. We're going to be looking at Joseph's attitude while he was on his path. And I've entitled my message today, Under Pressure. Uh, I I got that downloaded to me even before Pastor asked if I would take the pulpit for a weekend. And uh, I've been singing the Bowie Queen song for like a month now. I'm like, yeah, come on. Uh, I I can't get it out of my head. It's like ding, 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 ding. So, um... I promise that's the last time, and I hope that's the last time I sing it for a month. Uh, Anyway, um, we're going to be sharing from God's Word today. We're going to be bouncing out of Genesis again, and I'm also going to be sharing some insight uh, from Lisa Turkhurst. With 99.1, we have a Bible study, a a book group, and we're going through the book study. It's not supposed to be this way. And so she has some incredible uh, insight that I'm going to share with you, so I'm borrowing from her. Um, So as I've been thinking about being under pressure, I was thinking about sometimes in my life that I have felt under pressure, which I'm sure like you, I've got a plethora to choose from. But the one that popped up uh, happened about a little over two years ago, and uh, Stacy Hart was involved. Now, Stacy Hart is a sweetheart. I think to know her is to love her most of the time. <laughs> so she's in my office area, and she's kind of standing a little bit like this, kind of, and she says to me, I can't do a split. 
And I said to her, without thinking, and if you don't know me very well, self-control is not one of my strong suits. And so I blurted out, I can do a split. Now, never mind, it had been about 15 years and about 30 pounds since the last time I did a split, but it was out there, okay? And I'm not going to back away from that. So Stacy says to me, you can't do a split. And I was like, oh, girl, yes, I can, and it is going down for real. It sure was. So um, I, I, I assume my stance, and I start to go down. And at this time, I have a little bit of a following. Now, as much as you're going to get on a typical weekday at Word of Life. And so there's a few people around. And in my mind, I remember chanting. I'm not sure if it was there, but I felt the pressure. I was under peer pressure. So I'm halfway down, and I realize I can't do a split anymore. And I was terrified, but Stacy is standing right there. What am I going to do? I'm going down. Uh, so um, not very bright, people, not very bright. So I'm three, I get three quarters of the way, and I don't know if this happens to you, but when I'm injured, I can hear the injury on the inside of me. Does that happen to everybody? So I heard what sounded like a guitar string popping. It sounded like, dong, and my right hamstring completely let loose, and my butt plummeted to the ground. Um, I'm not sure if you can say butt from the pulpit that flew out, but I just did, twice. So uh, I was on the ground, and half of me wanted to assume an Olympic stance, like, yes, eat that, Stacy. But um, the other half was like, should I ask Pastor Jeremiah to bring me to urgent care? I was like, all right, show's over. Rolled myself up, and like I was like dragging the back right leg to, into the worship area. I'm like, I'm going to just stack the pews now, trying to assess the damage. Like, can I function? And it took me like a year to heal from that wound. So I love Stacy. I share that with her permission. Um, I only held a grudge for a little while, but I'm over it now. <laughs> we love to know Stacy is to love her. Just don't take a dare, okay? Don't take a dare from that girl. Um, so I wish that all of the pressure that we felt in this world from, was from a, a self-induced hamstring wound, right? But so often, the pressure that we feel is so much more sinister and has the potential to be much more devastating. And all of us are going to face pressure. And I'm not being a downer. I'm not starting off on a bad note, um, just a bad memory. But Jesus says that in this world, we would have trouble. In John 16, he says that. And that word trouble means anguished, persecuted, burdened, tribulation. Jesus told us that in this world, we would face tough stuff. In his next breath, he said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's, that's good news. And that, yeah, if you're going to clap, make it a good one. Um, he doesn't leave us hopeless. He doesn't leave us in broken places. But he did tell us that we'd have difficult times. And if you become a Christian and you think you're going to skate through and you're going to smell pretty things all the time, smell pretty things all the time. I don't know if anybody's ever thought that, but Jesus told us that we'd face tough stuff under pressure. So here's my thing. If we're going to have to face pressure, why not let it press us into the people that God is calling us to be? What if we could find purpose in the pain, in the plan, on the path that we are on? Let's do it. So we're going to look at the life of Joseph today. But before we do that, let's pray. 
Father, we want to give ourselves to you this morning. We thank you, God, for the incredible worship where we could draw close to you. We thank you for the incredible testimony of Nina. And God, we want to, in this moment, whatever we're going through, wherever we find our place, however we've come to sit in this pew today, we are declaring ourselves available. We're giving you permission right now, Holy Spirit, thanking you that you're a gentleman. You don't rush in and ravage us. You wait for us to ask. And so we want to come to you this morning and say, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the story of Joseph. We are going to be going to chapters 37 through 45. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all of it. Uh, We're going to just kind of pinpoint some points, and I'm going to read a a bit from that scripture. Um, But I want to start with just kind of bulleting through Joseph's life, okay? So here are a few highlights. Joseph was the 11th son of his father, Jacob. He had a lot of older brothers. I was the oldest sibling, (laughs) but um, he was way low man down on the totem pole. Um, And then uh, he was also the son of Jacob's first wife, Rachel. There's a lot of juicy, very juicy text around that history. We're not going there today, but there's, uh, there's some interesting facts around, around that point that he is the son of, of Jacob's wife, Rachel. He was also his father's favorite, okay? Think about all those brothers, and he's his father's favorite, what that might be like. Uh, when he was 17 years old, he was off tending his father's sheep, and his father asked that he would come back and bring a report of how the brothers were doing. And he brought a a report of the naughty things that his brothers were doing. Now, in the 80s, we'd call that a narc. Um, Yeah, some other 80s buds out here. Uh, So he was his dad's favorite, as I had mentioned. And his dad had a special colorful coat made for Joseph, um, which I think must have gone over real big with the older brothers, right? Um, So one night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him all the more for it. This is actually reading out of Genesis 37. He says to them, listen to this dream. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain and suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And then his brothers responded, so you think you'll be king over us, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. He had another dream very similar to the first. This time he shared it with his dad. And again, not a big uh, clap offering was made as he he delivered his dream. Um, Now here's a sidebar. Sometimes God in his generosity will give us a dream. He'll give us a hint. I love how Nina talked about how we're all wired in a certain way. God has a plan for our lives. So even in the way you're wired, you can begin to see the plan that God has for you. And he's so generous to even whisper even prophetically about our future. But maybe like Mary, as she watched her son Jesus grow up, we should ponder these things in our heart, not start being braggarty about them, right? It's kind of good to maybe allow God to allow those things to progress because often the path that he takes us on, the journey that he takes us on to get to the place where we see the dreams come to fruition are not anything that we would have thought. And it's, it's a surrender. It's a surrender, as we'll see with Joseph. Uh, so his brothers get sick of him, and they wrestle between killing him, throwing him in a pit, selling him off, and they decide to sell him to some traders for 20 pieces of silver. Now, my math isn't my strong suit like my self-control, um, but if I, if I figured it correctly, I think that was about 200 bucks they sold him for. 
All those brothers, that's not going very far. Now, Joseph must have heard all of that transpiring. And I wonder the betrayal that Joseph must have felt as his brothers sold him off for such a little tiny piece of silver. I mean, how would that have felt to Joseph? And now when I read the word, I try to relate. I try to say, God, what, how, what am I going to get from your word? And, and I wonder, for those of you who felt betrayed, could you relate with Joseph? So he was sold off, and the traders that he was sold to sold him to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt. Now hear this. Interestingly, the Bible tells us in Genesis 39, verses 2 through 4, that the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and everything he owned in Potiphar's household was blessed for Joseph's sake. So under pressure, the Lord was with Joseph. Somebody needed to hear that today. The Lord is with you. So Joseph was very handsome. He was a well-built man. That's what the word of God says. I think in today's day, we'd call him a hottie. And Potiphar's wife, who was his boss's wife, took notice of the fine specimen. And the Bible says that she looked at him lustfully and demanded that he sleep with her. Pressure. Uh, Joseph refuses, and this is what Joseph says. He doesn't say, you know that your husband will probably find out, or your husband will kill me. This is what he says. He says, it would be a wicked thing, a sin against God. And what I see there is Joseph kept his faith in the midst of pressure. The Bible tells us that this lady put on the pressure day after day until she grabbed him, begging him to sleep with her. And he continues to reject her, and she gets ticked. And so she screams out to the servants, Joseph has raped me. And so he's falsely accused. And we can read in Genesis 29, verse 19, that Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Now, when I read that, I recognize that there is something about Joseph that is beyond his circumstances that God is able to show up. God can show up anywhere, but again, he's a gentleman. He doesn't force his way. So it would take something of the miraculous as Joseph is behind bars that we see these incredible things happening, some sort of a pliable heart or a surrendered heart. And so while he was in prison, he interpreted dreams for two of the king's prisoners, the cupbearer and the baker, who were also in prison. And so he interprets the dreams, and, and it's, it's clear that th these two servants are exiting prison. And he says, remember me. When you get out there, remember me. So they get out. It doesn't work out so well for the baker. <laughs> um, but uh, for the cupbearer, he goes on about his business. He's restored, and he forgets about Joseph. <laughs> so here is Joseph, betrayed, falsely accused, and forgotten. 
Okay, so then it's two years later. Now, sometimes something will pop up on my time hop, and I look, and I'm like, two, that was two years ago? Wow, that's a lot of life that took place in those last two years. My grandkids look like babies. My kids look young. I look young. But uh, anyways, moving right along, I'm okay with getting older most of the time. Um, so uh, what happens is Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody can interpret it. And then the cupbearer says, oh, snap, dang. There's this dude in prison who can interpret dreams, king. You might want to pull him out. So Joseph is pulled out, and this is what the king says to him. He says, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. And I'm thinking if I was Joseph in that moment, I would probably say, yes, king, I can interpret dreams. You might want to keep me around in case you have a sleepless night. You can come to me. You should probably establish me in your kingdom in a rightful place where you can need, when you need me, I will be there. But that's not what Joseph says. This is what he says. He says, it is beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph is still giving honor and glory where it's due. So Joseph does interpret the dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of a famine. And Joseph instructs Pharaoh to put a wise man in charge of the entire land of Egypt. He says you should appoint someone to oversee the crops. And then Joseph is the actual man who was chosen by Pharaoh to be made ruler. Now we're wrapping up our text. Uh, in chapter 45, we see his brothers um, that had been living in the land of Canaan who were quite a distance away. The famine had reached his family and the Joseph, Joseph's family, Joseph's brothers, make it to Egypt to look for help. And um, here's what happens. It's an incredible bit of text. It's, it's an epic moment where Joseph reveals himself um, and then those dreams that he had many years ago come to pass where the grain bows down and his rises up. And uh, it's just incredible. And this is what Joseph ends up saying to, to, to his brothers. Um, because I think about what would I do? I think I'd be dreaming up ways <laughs> of things that I'd be able to say to my siblings that had betrayed me. But this is what, what Joseph says. He says, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve our lives. God has sent me here ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. Yeah, so, so good. And I think this is coming from a man who was betrayed, who was falsely accused, who was forgotten. And I don't ever see much of an apology through scripture, except for when his brothers are like, what, and you're, you're Joseph? Uh, but outside of that, that was Joseph's heart. And, and, and how did he get to that place in the midst of such tough life? This is a man who wore a coat, not a cape, he was fully man, and he took his suffering, and he allowed it to become God's strategy, which honestly reminds me of our master, Jesus. And we're going to get to him in a moment. But Joseph's suffering sweetened his relationship with God instead of allowing dead dreams and life's betrayals to make him sour. And when I hear a story like that, I want to take notice. I want to look to a life like the life of Joseph and say, what did he have that I clearly am not possessing? And God, how do I get that in order to make it through the life 
troubles that Jesus had mentioned? How do I make it through and rise above like Joseph did? Because as, as I've encountered in Christ, I want my one and only life to bring glory to his name. But life is tough, right? It's tough. Life is hard. It's very hard on the broken side of eternity. And so today, um, we're going to talk about two pressure cooker points, uh, two pressure cooker takeaways. And they are the pressure from disappointments of lost dreams and the pressure from real life uppercuts. So our first takeaway, pressure from the disappointment of lost dreams. Now, disappointment uh, is what we thought our life would look like, and then the reality of what we're living in. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but can anybody relate? I know I can. There's so many, so many aspects of my life that I thought would look a lot different, and uh, there have been times where it's been quite bitter. Um, and so, um, I think about Joseph and being sold by his brothers and being forgotten in prison probably made his dreams look a little bit ridiculous and probably left him feeling a little bit hopeless. Probably had the potential to bring on some bitterness. But here's the thing. Even in Joseph's disappointment, he didn't live disappointed. I don't know exactly what his strategy was. Uh, we're going to guess at it and, and, and hopefully point to it in a little bit. But because of his statements, I know that God was involved. God was involved. Joseph didn't live disappointed. If he did, he would have missed the plans that God has for him. Ouch. If we live disappointed, we can miss it with our one and only life. So sometimes to get our life back, we have to face the death of what we thought our life would look like. We have to allow God to persuade our faith, believing in what we cannot see, that he is a good God and he has a plan for our lives. Even if you feel like you're living behind bars and even if you feel like you've been forgotten and it's taking way too long. I think about this. If it takes a year for a ripped hamstring to heal, how long will it take a shredded heart? How long will it take shattered dreams? See, God isn't rude for giving us time. He's actually kind. He wants us to be able to heal so we're not tripping over that thing that took our breath away. And he wants us to be, to, uh, be healthy and move forward. And here's what Lisa Turkhurst says. She says, if we don't open up a, a process, if we don't open up a way to process our disappointments, we'll be tempted to let Satan rewrite God's love story as a negative narrative, leaving us more than slightly suspicious of our creator. Ooh. I'm going through Learning to Follow with a couple beauties, and uh, I was with Jess Reynolds a couple weeks ago, and she had said, uh, isn't it interesting how when Jesus was being tempted in the desert, that the enemy used half-truths to manipulate scripture to dissuade him. But here's the thing, when we see Jesus, he was not led astray or off, caused to be off course by the enemy. He didn't allow the enemy to rewrite God's love story. So sometimes we need to grieve the loss of a dream and press into what our reality is and find Christ there. Now, from what I can figure, it took about 20 years for when Joseph had those bowing down dreams to the time they actually came to pass. That's a long time. 
a long time. Now, one of my uh, favorite life verses is a verse uh, that's found in Psalm 37, 4, and it says this, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That was a verse that I was trusting in when I was 20 years old. I had already been through uh, a betrayal myself. I, went th- I was going through extreme loss and disappointment. I uh, had been violated and hurt and broken in many ways, and that's when I encountered Christ, and I, and I heard that verse, and And I decided to have that on my wedding day because I began to see that as I delighted myself in him, I was trusting that he would give me the desires of my heart. And here's the thing. If you look up that word delight uh, in the dictionary, it it means um, to have a high degree of pleasure or enjoyment, which I think all of us could pretty much say, yeah, got it. But if you take that back to the original Hebrew and look up the word delight, it's a word onag, and it means to be soft and pliable. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be soft and pliable in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Probably not in the way you anticipate, probably not in the timing that you expect, but you can trust him that if you are soft and pliable in his presence, he will move. And so, um, you know, I, I know this. On this side of eternity, two plus two doesn't always equal four. But I do know that with God involved, it does add up. So our second takeaway today is uh, pressure from real life uppercuts. These are life hits that we all have. Uh, sometimes we can feel dusty from life. And I'm talking about those, those life scenarios where it does, we don't just feel crushed or broken, but we actually feel like literal dust. Like, God, I have no idea how you can rebuild from what I see around me. I have no idea how to move on from this. All I can see is dust. And it's a scary place to be because we can feel hopeless when our life looks dusty. Dust can beg us to believe that the promises of God no longer apply to us, that his reach will fall short from where we are. But what if it's not God's intention to rebuild? We might want him to edit it, to rebuild it, to restore what we had, but what if dust is the basic ingredient that he wants to use to create that new life? Because here is what I see in scripture. In Genesis 2, 7, it tells us that God chose dust to create man. We see in John 9 that Jesus used dust of the ground to restore a man's sight. He also used spit, which is really weird and I kind of love. Um, Dust, when you mix it with water, becomes clay. And when placed in the potter's hand, it can be formed into anything that the master potter dreams up. Now, here's an interesting nugget um, regarding uh, dust and creating a new vessel. An experienced potter um, can pretty much create anything out of clay. But what an experienced potter also knows is that dust from previous vessels, when applied to a new vessel, um, actually strengthens that new vessel. And that new vessel can withstand greater amounts of heat and pressure. So I thought, isn't God so incredible that he takes the natural to show us some spiritual truth? The things that we go through, God will actually use to strengthen us for the things to come, which I think is incredible. Joseph's life was dust like three different times. 
But my friends, dust doesn't have to signify the end. Dust is often what must be present for the new to begin. And so I want to ask you today, what is the master potter looking to create in your life from dust? And can you trust him with it? So in the midst of this process, let's think about this. What we focus on will become bigger and where we stare, we will steer. If you look at the fact that your life is dust and you have a pity party for too long, um, you're not going to be able to see the things that God has. Now, I'm speaking from experience. Now, I fully believe that there's a time to grieve, and I fully believe there's a time um, to talk it out and work it out, but we can't stay in a place where we're just focusing on our dust. We have to allow our eyes to rise to our Savior. And I saw this firsthand with my friend, Tina Parsley. Now, Tina lost her battle to cancer in June. And many of us were really close with her or had been impacted by her ministry. I personally wasn't extremely close with Tina, but we had what you would call a kindred spirit. I j we just got each other. And sometimes when uh, she would come in for a cup of coffee and maybe stay 20 minutes and uh, we'd have time together, uh, we'd go deep. She knew some of my largest struggles and I knew some of hers. And toward the end of her days, when she had uh, decided um, that she would <clears throat> quit her, her job at the dental office and come to stay to uh, work here and, and, and uh, donate her time at church, she said this to me. She said, <clears throat> Annie, all of our days are numbered. I just know I have less than most. And uh, I was blown away by Tina's words. And so we decided we weren't going to talk about her health. We were going to talk about more exciting things, like what God was doing in our lives. And so the very last conversation I ever had with Tina, um, it was in her makeshift office in the back. And uh, we brought up our struggles. And she said this to me. She said, you know what, Annie? <clears throat> I found freedom and victory in those areas that I've struggled with for so many years. And it was because of the cancer journey. And then she said something I'll never forget that's changed me for good. She said, and I wouldn't trade it. See, Tina's eyes were on her healer. Healing didn't come in the way that we, many of us were hoping and praying for. But the healing did come. Now, I'm not there. I don't, I'm not graced for the journey that Tina walked. But I want to learn from it. And I wonder, what did Tina and our man Joseph do that caused their eyes to lift off of their circumstance to focus on God's plan? And I can think of nothing more poignant than to look to Jesus. Nothing more perfect than to look to our Savior. Because I believe that they tapped into something that Jesus spoke of. The key to surrendering our attitude in the midst of pressure is found in Luke 22, verse 42. Jesus was in prayer. He was in agony with the journey ahead of him. He was at the Mount of Olives the night before his betrayal and his arrest, and there was intense pressure. The Bible said that he sweat droplets of blood. And he asked his heavenly father for another way. I know I've been there, and it's good to know that I was in, I'm in good company because so did Jesus. But here is what Jesus said. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, we looked up that word cup. I thought, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to say to us? And that word cup in Greek is the word poterion, which means lot or fate. Jesus 
chose his heavenly father's fate for him in the midst of intense pressure. God's will be done. So there it is. There is what I believe that Joseph and Tina were able to tap into Christ's example, fully God, but also fully man, surrendering to Father's fate. And I wonder, what could be the other option? Jesus followed the painful part of the plan, taking on our sin, separating himself from his heavenly Father to take on our burden so that all mankind could be restored in relationship to heavenly Father. And I wonder, what could be fulfilled in our lives, living fully in humanity with the help of his Holy Spirit, surrendering to his will or his fate for us? Not my will, but yours be done. And I'm reminded as we close off of a one-liner that my husband uses on me a lot. Sometimes I don't want to hear it. And I'm like, okay, whatever, bring it out in about an hour. But this is what he says. It's a quote by Jim Dennison. And he says, God redeems what he allows. Let that one sink in for a minute. God redeems what he allows. Now to redeem is to recover or reclaim. And God was redeemer in Joseph's life when he was under pressure. Christ's redemption reigned in Tina's life when she was under pressure. And I wonder, could we surrender to his cup or his fate for our lives? Let's pray. I'm going to ask that this be a holy moment. Sometimes I like to peek during prayer. I'm going to ask that you don't. I'm going to ask that you allow this to be your holy moment and allow it to be your neighbor's holy moment. And I want to ask if there's anyone like me whose life feels like dust. Perhaps you had some dreams for your life and it just looks a whole lot different than you ever thought it would. And right now in this moment, if you would like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus to say, Lord, could you take this cup from me, this fate from me? And yet, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to ask you to do something a little bold and a little courageous today. But sometimes that's what we need on this side of eternity. And if that's you today, squeezing your eyes shut, don't look around. If you want to have a holy moment and you're like, I'm sick of living in this place, would you just stand to your feet today? You want to surrender and you want to say, you know what, God? Your will be done in the midst of this difficulty. Thank you, bold and courageous ones. I stand with you. Bold and courageous, ready to be in the midst of your dust, in the midst of your broken dreams and saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. Not my, yes, bold and courageous one, bold and courageous one. Not my will, but yours be done. It hurts, but I'm trusting that you're a good God and you have good plans for my life. Not my will, but yours be done. Father, I want to thank you for these bold and courageous ones that have stood to their feet today. I pray, Father, that you would give them a boldness that comes straight from heaven, divine encouragement to take the next steps in you, keeping their eyes up on you, rising above their circumstance to do the miraculous, to walk in your fate for their lives, God, believing that you have an incredible plan for them. Would you all stand to our feet, to your feet, so we can worship our Lord today.